From Press Communications, LLC, this is Jersey Shore Matters with Diane de Oliveira. The Jewish Federation of Ocean County has launched an emergency fundraising campaign to help the people of Israel impacted since the October 7th Hamas terrorist attacks. Managing Director Keith Kravitsky is speaking with us by phone from Jerusalem, where he had been visiting for the Jewish holidays and remains after his flight back to the U.S. was canceled. Thank you so much, Keith, for taking the time. It's such a volatile situation. uh, And here you are on the phone with us. How are you? Uh, at the moment, I'm doing okay. Diane, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk with you. Before we talk about what it's actually like in Jerusalem and where you're at, what you're hearing and seeing, I, I want to talk about what the Jewish Federation of Ocean County is doing to help the people of Israel. So tell me about the campaign that you have launched with local rabbis. Uh, the Jewish Federation, uh, uh, as an organization, looks out for the well-being of the Jewish community and our broader community in Ocean County. Uh, when there are needs, when there are issues and challenges, we step up. We do annual fundraising to help. Uh, we support uh, Jewish family and children's services, which provide social services locally. And we also work with other partners on anti-hate programming. We have a great collaboration with the county um, and make grants to help those in need and organizations in need. After what happened uh, in Israel, um, many in our community feel very close ties to Israel and uh, the people here. So we launched uh, an emergency fundraising campaign uh, to provide immediate relief and response and to also help with longer-term recovery and rebuilding. And to, to encourage people to give, I have to say there's actually been a really strong outpouring of support, but to encourage even more support, Uh, the Federation actually took funding from our reserves so that we are matching gifts up to $50,000 for this campaign. Uh, And uh, I have to credit the the rallies in our community who took the lead on a solidarity gathering last week, which generated a lot of attention and support. Uh, We are actually meeting early next week to figure out where we could deploy the first uh, round of grants to have the most impact in Israel. I think it's amazing how the community is stepping up to help. I know you have a a goal of $150,000 for this campaign, and of course, I hope you surpass that. What is it like for you in Jerusalem? How how close are you to everything that's happening? Are you hearing any of the airstrikes or sirens? What's going on there where you are? So that's a great question. uh, And uh, it's sort of hard to describe unless you, you're here or you've visited here. So Gaza, where all this, so I'm in Jerusalem right now, Gaza, where the initial horrific attack took place and where much of this fighting is happening right now, is just over an hour away driving. But Israel's a small country, so it, it feels like a very different place. We don't hear what's going on in Gaza here, but at the same time, one of the things that's happening is that Hamas and its its other terrorist organizations in the Gaza Strip launch rockets. They can gauge or direct what direction those rockets go in, but they're not calibrated to, to actually hit a particular target, so they're fired into cities and civilian areas and things like that. And uh, so Jerusalem, where I am now, has been relatively quiet. 
We've had a few rocket attacks. Um, you hear a siren go on in the background, and you have 90 seconds to get to a, a, a shelter or a, or a safe room. Um, and what they tell you to do is to wait until you hear the booms. And the booms are one of two things. That's the Iron Dome defensive system that's intercepting the rockets or launching and intercepting the rockets, or it's the rocket then exploding or hitting somewhere. So uh, uh, you actually hear these very loud booms generally after a siren. And one of the things you see if you're watching TV here, they actually list they're able to track where the rockets are going. So communities not only hear a siren, you can look on TV and see what communities are being impacted or affected on a, on a daily basis. Um, so um, on the one hand, it's great because people have warning. On the other hand, uh, it's not a usual, normal way of living one's life to be under threat of rocket attacks. So, yes. I don't think people really understand we take things for granted here in the U.S., I think, is just what that must be like, though, to have to live under that fear every day. Uh, You know, fighting in the Middle East is nothing new, uh, but just the intensity of what's been happening since October 7th and just what's going on with Russia and Ukraine, uh, you know, it just magnifies everything that's happening. Uh, What is it like to have a safe room in your house. I mean, you know, you think of the U.S. when, when we have a tornado out in the in the West or, you know, you think people mm-hmm. have their rooms that they go to. But homes in Israel, uh, is that a standard thing that they come with, a safe room to, to hide because you're under this threat on a regular basis? Uh, the, the answer is, I mean, it's sad to say that, that regulations are with, with homes that are built now uh, or renovated. Uh, yeah, it is a standard feature to have a safe room. Um, most apartment buildings, uh, especially older ones, actually have shelters uh, in the basement or on the first floor that people can go to. And they're actually communal shelters uh, in most neighborhoods that in the event of, of an incident or an attack that, that people can go to. And what a sheltered room is, is basically it's it's a room that has reinforced walls and isn't exposed to windows um, or the, the the roof, as it were, you know, such that if uh, you're unlucky enough to have a rocket hit your house or apartment building, you're more likely to be protected. There are people, especially in older apartments, that don't have these safe rooms. So when a rocket siren sounds or, or there's a warning, People sometimes walk down several flights of stairs to go to the shelter and wait until uh, they either hear the booms or there's an all clear when they then go back to their apartments. You know, it's about 10 minutes from the time of the the siren to when you go back. Uh, Yeah, that's what people deal with here. It is when life is normal, when, when people aren't shooting this way or launching attacks, it's a great place to live. It's a great place to visit. Um, it has a very vibrant social scene, Israel. Um, and now when it is under threat of attack, unfortunately, people have, have learned and gotten used to what to do in the event of an emergency in ways that, that we just don't understand. It isn't normal in the United States, but they know what to do. And when it happens again and again, um, I said Jerusalem's quiet, Tel Aviv, you know, Israel's cultural and business center on the coast has been 
the recipient of a lot more sirens and a lot more rocket attacks. And it's a lot quieter in Tel Aviv. Like, stores aren't open, restaurants aren't open, people are staying near home, you know, because it's more at risk and people feel it. And it's, it's not a normal way to live. Keith, I just want to remind our listening audience, this is Jersey Shore Matters. I am your host, Diane D'Oliver. I'm speaking with Keith Kravitsky. He's the managing director of the Jewish Federation of Ocean County. He is actually on the phone with us from Jerusalem, where he has been since the October 7th attacks by Hamas on Israel. And the Jewish Federation has launched a fundraising campaign to help with recovery efforts, rebuilding, and the people impacted by these horrific acts. Uh, the goal is $150,000. Uh, we've been speaking about that, but Keith is also sharing his experiences of just being in Jerusalem now, which is about an hour away from Gaza, as you said, uh, just, you know, during this unsettling time. If you don't mind me asking, how old are you, Keith? You don't have to tell me if you don't want to, but I was, I'm was i asking for a reason. Uh, no, that's, that, that's fine. I actually got the answer wrong the other day, but uh, last count, I'm 51. 51. Okay. Well, I'll admit I'm 52. So I'm just wondering, when was the first time you were ever in Israel or in Jerusalem? And how much have things changed? How many times have you been back and forth? Sure. Uh, The the first time I was in Israel was probably in 1992 when I was in college. And uh, my life has been such that, that many of the things I've done professionally are also tied to Israel, and I have very, very dear friends here um, who are like family, and uh, so I've been back a lot. I could not even tell you how many times I've been back, and so I do spend significant time here. Since 92, the country has grown tremendously. Um, you know, the joke, I'm sure it's said elsewhere, but they, they, the joke is that the national bird of Israel is the crane, because there are construction cranes almost everywhere you look. There are large numbers of people who need housing here in Israel, yeah. and it's a small place, so people are building up, and um, uh, it's become an incredible, like, cultural, vibrant restaurant scene. It's it's a wonderful place, despite being at risk. You know, the great thing about this place is that people actually, when there is a crisis like this, people come together and look out for each other in a really special way but yeah it's it's one shouldn't have to live like this uh and i think that is certainly what what people everywhere feel keith when you are traveling back and forth i mean are are there any extra precautions that you take or how different is it for you do you act any differently do you do anything differently as opposed to when you're here in the u.s or over there Uh, great question diane um Truth is, in, in, in normal times, uh, you know, I feel more comfortable walking down the streets here than I do in Belmar or Seabirth or even Tom's River. Uh, and people are out walking, you know, uh, for exercise at all hours of the day and night. It's just a very warm, friendly, safe place. That said, there are things that are, that are very different, and Israel has learned the hard way. When you travel here, the kind of screening you get uh, to fly here, or I guess any other way of entering the country, um, is more intense than we've become used to after September 11th in the United States. Um, There are a lot more questions. There are a lot more background checks that happen. 
you see it also like when leaving Israel, people take safety and security very seriously. You're asked, has anyone given you anything? You know, have your bags been with you the whole time? And there are security personnel trained to look for people who are not telling the truth about that. You know, there are checkpoints at various places in the country. People are trained literally to keep your bags with you at all times. Like one of the first things I learned many years ago coming here was the, the term a suspicious package. You know, if there is a, a bag left unattended somewhere, people take it seriously. Police come and cordon off the area and blow it up. You know, so it's an interesting and I guess bizarre mix of normalcy and openness and outdoor cafes and all of that with security guards and young adults in the army walking around with their machine guns or their weapons and all of these other precautions. People are used to it here. I could totally imagine if people are seeing it for the first time, it would be very incongruous. Yeah. I, I mean, no, I can't imagine. I mean, you know, I, I've been to the Dominican Republic on the border of Haiti where there were armed guards with machine guns. And I'm only talking a few. And that was unsettling. So I can't imagine, you know, what it's like to see that every day. And it's just kind of a normal part of your life. And you just get used to that. Being that news coverage can be so different from the United States and in other countries, are there any major differences in what you're seeing in the coverage of what's happening or just how the U.S. is responding to helping Israel? Also a great question. Uh, you know, I will say that, that all of the main TV channels here right now are all news all the time. Um, and uh, we're in a particular waiting period, I guess. You know, there's been the indication that the Israeli army is going to go and try and defeat Hamas, this terrorist organization that not only carried out the attack, but basically keeps the Gaza Strip under its thumb. Um, and everybody here is glued to the TV, you know, waiting for that action to take place. It's not only what you see on the news, although it's, it's um, like people are addicted to watching the news here, like uh, for people's mental health. You know, they've been encouraged. Maybe you shouldn't watch the news all the time. Yeah. Maybe give it every couple of hours before you check in. But the other thing is that, you know, as you mentioned uh, uh, earlier, everybody here is connected in a way that that is not usual in the United States. Um, everybody has someone or knows someone who's been called up in the reserves to help defend the country or even worse, they know someone who was killed, injured, or kidnapped. Um, and so the, the kind of immediacy and relevance and, and anxiety and stress is just really palpable. And you don't quite get that, I think, in seeing the news in the United States or, or reports about what's going on here. At the same time, you know, Israeli society has come together in, in amazing ways. There are um, WhatsApp groups. It, it's basically texting, you know, that have many people on it that are both looking for and offering volunteer opportunities and ways they can help. And the minute a, a need is posted, like a family has relocated from where the attacks were in the south to a hotel or they don't have clothes or they don't have toiletries or whatever else, people are hopping on within within a minute 
to try and fill that need and help whomever they can. That's also not coming across. Um, you know, the other piece, and this gets to the heart of a lot of the issues, is that for people here, this, this fight is existential. Um, the attack wasn't just, oh, it's a political step. There's an end goal that if we go to negotiate, somehow we'll get to a peaceful resolution or another, you know, quiet period. People feel, I think rightly so, that this was an attack from people who frankly want to kill everybody here and don't want the state of Israel here or the people here. And so that kind of existential threat really has galvanized the population here. And there is real unanimity in terms of the need for there to be a fight because enemy's not going away and the enemy's not going to leave us alone. And I don't think that kind of real fundamental issue comes across in a lot of news coverage. It's hard. I mean, there's a lot of analysis. I think people in Israel were incredibly touched by President Biden and actually by other world leaders who were coming because they spoke from the heart and they said, you know what, we've got your back. And that kind of, again, emotion and existential threat isn't always clear to people living in the United States. And I'll go a step further. You know, there are people who, who say, you know, the solution to this is to end the occupation. You know, the occupation is the existence of the state of Israel. And I'm not sure if everybody realizes that, but that is, again, an existential threat. And I'm not sure that that, you know, implication is really clear to people when they hear things like that. Everybody wants there to be peace. Like, people don't want to have this fighting, except Hamas, the organization that started it and carried out that horrific attack on October 7th. Keith, we are almost out of time, and I can talk to you for hours about this. I, I mean, we will keep in touch with you and, you know, anything new, any new developments and things like that. But I want you to be able to give out the information again uh, for the Jewish Federation of Ocean County for people who want to donate or get involved in some way. Best thing they can do is go to our website, jewishoceancounty.org. Uh, if you want to be extra fancy, you can type in jewishoceancounty.org backslash Israel response, but you'll find it if you go to our website uh, and make a donation. Uh, as uh, you mentioned earlier, and I mentioned, uh, donations will be matched uh, and will go directly to help people affected here in Israel and the recovery and rebuilding uh, and relief that needs to happen. Also, I would say, if you know someone that's affected, if you know anyone here, if you know people in the Jewish community, reach out, tell them you care, give them a hug. It's, it, it will be very much appreciated. Um, and uh, really, thank you. I mean, I want to thank your listeners, but I want to thank you for taking the time to to have me on and to have this discussion. Keith Kravitsky, Managing Director of the Jewish Federation of Ocean County. I know this isn't easy and it's such a, a, a tough subject to discuss, but people really need to hear what's happening and, and hear from the Jewish community. So thank you again. Stay safe. I believe you did tell me off air that you are scheduled on a flight to come home uh, soon. So I safe travels. <laughs> as long as it's and... not canceled, but yes. Oh, geez. <laughs> Diane, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate you can hear Jersey Shore Matters with Diane D'Oliveira every Sunday morning on Press Communications, LLC.